Welcome to the Pure Creative Force Podcast. I'm Christy McNabb, your host. There's a pulse of creativity running through each of us. It's our job to honor and activate it. Creativity is the antidote to the ills, struggles, and challenges we see in our lives and the world around us. The act of creating and bringing forth something new dissolves the old and useless ways. Join us and discover how to unleash the pure creative force within. Hear from fellow creators about their process and learn how to keep elevated. Be inspired to go create. In today's episode, I talk with Kalinda Gray, an actress, performer, and owner of Wishing Well Entertainment. I first saw Kalinda on stage in our local community theater, where she played multiple parts in Fellowship, a parody of Lord of the Rings. And I was completely blown away by her stage presence and her ability to capture the audience's hearts. In addition to acting, Kalinda runs one of the top entertainment and party companies in Los Angeles and Orange County. She and her team provide a cast of performers who entertain at children's parties, family gatherings, office functions, as well as large-scale trade shows and events. In our chat, we talk about who inspired her to perform, how she masters her craft and the range of dialects and roles, how she juggles auditions, performances, and hosting more than 5,500 parties since she started her business. She shares her love of traveling research for her favorite roles, a passion for Salem witches, and how her entertainment company is touching lives and helping children and their families create memories that live forever. She's a true gem who lights up every stage and screen she enters. Here's our interview. Welcome, Kalinda, to the Pure Creative Force podcast. Thank you for having me. You were born a natural performer. Just share a little bit um, with us about your journey as an actor and a performer and who were your most notable inspirations as well as your cheerleaders throughout your life. Yeah, um, I can pretty much blame all of this on my dad. Um, (laughs) uh, He was, my dad passed away when I was 17. He was a very funny, very magical person and also a naturally born performer. And he was pretty much my first inspiration, very funny, uh, showed me all kinds of movies when I was a kid, both him and his mom, my grandma, um, took me, I, I was raised in Buena Park, California, and they would take me to the Hollywood Wax Museum when I was a kid in Buena Park. And I remember walking through these wax figure presentations and looking at all these actors who looked like they were about to, at that time, the wax figures were really good. (laughs) And it looked like they were about to spring up and touch you almost. And I remember just being fascinated and somewhat horrified by these (laughs) actors that were right in front of me and these movies that they were a part of. And that's really what kind of instilled my love for movies first. And so I grew up watching a lot of different movies. And I remember my dad showed me The Godfather at a relatively young age. And to this day, that's my very favorite film. And I noticed something new about the acting technique almost every single time I give it a rewatch. And my favorite actor 
to this day is Al Pacino. And just the way that he crafts his performance and the stillness that he has is really just amazing and fascinating to watch. So he's definitely inspired me as an actor. And once I got into school, um, the first thing that I could really do that was attached to acting was theater. They don't really, you know, teach you the movies when you're in elementary school and high school. So I just pretty much threw myself headfirst into theater. And I was incredibly, to this day, cannot tell anyone how, I cannot express how much this woman was an inspiration to me, but my drama teacher in high school, uh, mm-hmm. Mariana Herda, was absolutely amazing. She was very strict, (laughs) which facilitated even my role as a business owner now. And a lot of people had come out of the drama program that I received at, uh, it was El Medina High School in Orange, Uh, Milo Bentamiglia, who's on This Is Us, Uh, Mikey Day, who's now on SNL, Um, Brittany Ishibashi, who's on, um, I think it's a Marvel TV show on Netflix. So a lot of wonderful people have come out from under her tutelage, and she was very inspiring. And then from there on, I've had really, really great teachers. Cliff Osmond was a teacher of mine. He was a favorite of Billy Wilder, the very famous movie director. He passed away a couple years ago. But he really helped me find new depths as a person, um, which I think is really important for your acting. And kind of, he he almost was a psychiatrist for a lot of people too, which was great, especially as actors, you really need that. And, uh, (laughs) And then... My current mentor is Stan Zimmerman, who is a uh, comedy writer for television. He wrote for Roseanne, uh, Golden, well, first Roseanne, of course, uh, Golden Girls, Gilmore Girls, and he's a champion of women, and I love that about him, and he has been a wonderful, wonderful friend and a, fast, and a fantastic mentor to me. So I've been really, really lucky. Uh, my family's been very supportive, especially my dad and my grandma who both passed on and I know they're sitting at the back of the theater watching me to this day so that helps um so yeah I've been really really lucky with all kinds of uh inspirations across the board yeah that's so fascinating you were first attracted at the wax museum and just I could see you as I could see you as a little kid just being so in awe of the characters and oh yeah yeah and I remember like walking through and, and at, the, at that time, the sculptors were, they used an actual sculptor, like an artistic sculptor. And um, I mean, the figurines at that time looked like they would literally just jump up and touch you. And I remember there was the particular Laurel and Hardy duo was sitting and you could walk right by them and you could touch them at that time. And I remember just looking at them and going, wow, like, look at all the, you could feel the feeling in their face and you could see the twinkle in Stan Laurel's eye. And it made you want to know more about these actors and what they did and what their craft was. I mean, even just as a little kid walking around through this thing. So yeah, of all things, I credit Movie Land Wax Museum. (laughs) (laughs) That's crazy. So... I've seen you play the lead in three community theater performances, which you've been brilliant Mm -hmm. in almost the same. (laughs) Yeah. Three performances in almost the same amount of months. How do you decide what roles to play or to audition for? And how do you prepare so quickly? Um, great question. Shows I like. <laughs> um, I have been, well, and I always want to do something that hasn't been done before and I know I'm going to have fun with, and I know it'll be a great cast or a great team or a great director. 
this year, there were a lot of things coming up that were all very enticing. And this has definitely been my busiest theater year I've ever had. And in addition, I think to the three shows you saw, I've done four other shows. So I think there's been seven total this year, which is the nut that at one point in the last couple months, I was doing three shows at one time. So, um, and I, yeah, I was pretty crazy. And I was able to remember my lines for each given show and not start to quote. I was doing King Kong earlier this year. Thankfully, I wasn't quoting Andero's quotes in Fellowship of the Ring, the musical. (laughs) But King Kong that I did um, first this year was a world premiere. And Brian Noel, who runs the Theater in Fullerton, is always very innovative and very creative with what he does. And I know anything that he puts his hands-on is definitely going to be um, a creative and interesting experience. And King Kong was definitely that. It was kind of a trial and error thing to work out the special effects for that show. And it ended up being a huge hit. And Fellowship, uh, the musical, which is a spoof on The Lord of the Rings, the first uh, Fellowship story, um, I had seen that show up in LA five or six years ago when I was doing a production of Hobbit and a couple of the cast members and I came up to see that show completely fell in love with it. And as soon as I heard the Maverick was doing it and was uh, the first to get their rights for the OC premiere, I was like, Ooh, I'm, I'm there. (laughs) And then Sleepy Hollow was also a West coast regional premiere and that type of um, show hadn't been done before. And now with silence, the same thing, Silence the Musical, which is the spoof on Silence of the Lambs. That's the OC premiere, too. So it's neat to be a part of something that the immediate community hasn't seen before and to do something new. So I tend to pick shows that are like that or shows that, you know, have been on my bucket list for a while that are extremely well written, that, you know, are really funny or they're really tearjerkers. Um, I like things that really kind of touch the soul and the spirit in either way. So that's kind of how I like to pick shows. Yeah. And then the um, preparing, is it just just natural for you to memorize lines like that? You know, it's getting harder and harder. I hate to say it, but <laughs> I used to think, and you have to really train yourself to memorize quickly. And the more that I have things in my brain (laughs) and especially doing three shows at once, the harder it does become. However, I'm a, I really learn by movement. So as soon as a show is blocked and I know where I'm moving on stage, it makes it so much easier for me to connect the lines to the movement. And I can memorize very, very quickly. Back in the day when I was a teenager and and doing this, I could memorize within a night, you know, a couple pages. Unfortunately, I still have to do that for film and television auditions, but for theater nowadays, yeah, definitely. If it's blocked early on, it makes it a lot easier for me to uh, remember that. Oh, that's, that's fascinating. Yeah. Using your physical movement to help you kind of keep the the memory in your cellular and cellular memory. That's awesome. Exactly. Yeah. Can't say how much that helps. It really does. And then what about the different dialects and accents? I mean, you play Jodie Foster's character, Clary Starling and (laughs) (laughs) give us a little snippet. Uh, Yeah. That's been a really interesting, uh, you know, venue to uh, just, you know, have to do the lisp and also have to listen to the, the accent and kind of, you know, make it even more pronounced. <laughs> and I found myself after the show going through drive through and doing the exact same accent. So it kind of stays with you. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, my mom actually has a very, my mom is very musically inclined and she has a very, and my dad was too, but especially my mom, she has a very sympathetic ear. So I've been able to do that since I was a kid and pick up accents. I, I didn't really receive any specific training really anywhere. I just, I, for lack of anything else to say, um, I just feel like I have a really sympathetic ear. So if I listen to something, for the most part, I can pick it up. The one I really have trouble with is Australian, though. Still have not been able to master a crocodile Dundee yet. <laughs> but I love it. Anything else? Um, yeah, I, yeah, I love doing the different dialects. It makes it really fun. I get a lot of um, British roles, so I do a lot of those, too, so... Yeah, so especially good for a fellowship of the Ring musical that really came in handy. <laughs> yeah. So you're an avid traveling history buff. What's been your favorite place to do research for a story or a performance? Great question, which I really, really love doing and advocate for actors to do so strongly. It adds such an element to performance to basically walk in the footsteps and I'm getting really passionate about this if you can't tell um to walk in the footsteps of somebody you are portraying or a story you are portraying it just makes it so much more real and you can bring that back to the stage or I mean it sounds very heady but I really connect with things like that I and the first time I did that was actually in college when I did Streetcar Named Desire I played Blanche and my boyfriend and I at the time decided to go to New Orleans in the middle of um, doing this show. And it was really cool because I found um, the actual address that Tennessee Williams uses in that show. You can find it. It's this ramshackle house in New Orleans and you can completely envision Stella and Stanley living there and uh, other places that he used in that play, I mean, you can walk right into, and it's like you're, you know, Blanche or whatever, walking right into this space. And then also meeting people. I remember there was this waiter we met the first night that we were having dinner there, and I had a Streetcar New Desire postcard in my purse for some reason, and he spied it, and he said, oh, so you're doing Streetcar, huh? And I said, yeah, my school back in California. And he tilted his head back inside, and he said, Man, Tennessee Williams just had the best pot. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so you just meet the most interesting people associated with that. But my main, and on the side, aside from acting, and I don't know if you know this, but I'm a Salem witch trial independent researcher, and I've gone out there uh, 12 times in the last 10 years to conduct independent research. And the um, thing, the story that really got me first completely fascinated by that was The Crucible. Um, I read The Crucible in high school, and uh, I had read other books about the Salem Witch Trials when I was a kid. But The Crucible, to this day, is one of my absolute favorite pieces of theater. And I've really delved into the history of the people that are in that play, like John Proctor, Abigail Williams, Samuel Paris, Rebecca Nurse, etc. I'm hoping to do a production of it in the near future. So I'm hoping that all of that research that I've done can really fuel if I end up doing that show in the near future, that would be fantastic. And I have other places that I'd love to go, like one that played Ava Perón and Evita. Um, I'd love to go to Argentina and kind of walk in her footsteps too. So that's also on the schedule at some point. So yeah, I love, love, love traveling for any kind of historical research, but especially if it's connected to a role I'm playing, it makes it even more invaluable. Mm, fascinating. 
So what's been your favorite performance this year? This year, and that is so tough because I have really been lucky. I am deeply grateful. I've had such a fun year. I would have to say because of the ensemble and because it was a long run, we played for eight weeks and the audiences were fantastic. We had people coming back several times to see it. I would have to say Fellowship of the Ring, the musical. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, It was so much fun being able to finally play a man on stage in the role of Legolas and also a, you know, a barfly patron with a mustache on my face. I had to play four different roles in that show. And I revel in doing that, being able to completely switch in the blink of an eye from one character to another. I, I love doing that. So it was a really fun experience. I'd have to say as much as I've loved the other performances and love all the cast and the crews that have been associated with it, I'd have to say that's my favorite. Yeah, that's where I first, I think that was the first show I saw. And when you switched from the characters coming out on stage as Legolas, what character were you before the scene on the bar? I was, that's right. I was Arwen doing an 80s love ballad with Aragorn. And then I literally had to leap backstage, completely change wig, costume, get my bone era, et cetera, in probably, oh boy, 45 seconds. I know. <laughs> and then jump you, right back on stage. You popped out on stage. I'm like, oh my gosh, she just did a quick change. And it was just super quick. And <laughs> you were quick. So into the character. I mean, from. Arwen and then into Legolas, it was just like, wow, you are absolutely talented. I almost felt, I was like laughing so hard. I almost fell out of my chair. I was like, oh my God. (laughs) Yeah, that was definitely my favorite. Um, And we just actually received word today. um, We got this ensemble of the year by the OC Weekly for that show. So that's a nice little to wake up to so yeah I adored that cast and the and the team and we had a really great time it was a it was fantastic fun yeah well deserved thank you (laughs) (laughs) so how do you craft your delivery to create a bond with the audience I mean as an actor performer you've got lines you've got your script but you absolutely make a connection with the audience and just talk to me a little bit about how you create that bond, even though the audience isn't really active performing. um, There is a give and take. Yeah. Thank you for the very kind words, by the way, Cliff Osmond, my acting coach. I, when I came into uh, his class, it was actually through my stepdad who took the class. My stepdad used to be an actor and took Cliff's class um, to help with writing and to actually, as he says to this day, be a better person. And Cliff um, was a fantastic psychoanalyst and could figure out what was that part of the actor, what was kind of going on in their lives, what did they need to work on? And his classes, we were doing scenes, it was mostly movie and uh, theater scenes, and we filmed them on camera. And he could sense at that time, this was several years ago, and I readily talk about it, that I had a lot of unresolved anger issues. <laughs> and I think a lot of it was coming up from when I was a kid. I had a very, very tumultuous childhood, and, and theater really, really helped me through that. And uh, he was able to kind of see that, and he would purposefully give me scenes um, where I could rage and be emotional and work through that. And it's so crazy, but he pretty much by doing that and identifying that 
in, in a very kind and calm way that I had a lot of that going on. And it was it therapeutically kind of, it really helped me be a better actor and kind of shed a lot of the actory stuff and just come from a really grounded place and look and basically say to the audience, look, this is who I am. And this is the character that I'm playing. You know, all characters that are playing, even if they're, you know, very, you know, comedic legless jumping across the stage uh, role are very, they're human for the most part. And when you go to see a show, you want to identify with something or somebody like that and go, yeah, that's me. Or that's, that's uh, something that I went through or yeah, I'm currently going through that. How do I get through that? Or gosh, I'm going through a terrible time in my life. I just want to laugh right now. I feel like if you work on yourself as a person first, I think it makes you a much better actor and a much more grounded and much more, you're more of an empty vessel to connect with the audience. And I think audience members see through that. So I think that really helps the actor. If you're going through classes and you're just kind of, you know, figuring out how can I um, make this as realistic a performance as possible. Um, I think the audience definitely sees that, especially in a very close setting in a black box theater setting, of course, and especially for film. Absolutely. You have to ground yourself. You can't really just be relying on the lines. You have to put a little bit of yourself in there too. And I think that really helps craft that relationship with the audience. Yeah. And that's such an important um, factor, even for people listening who, you know, maybe they're not performers, but just any interaction with an audience, it's like the more you know yourself, the greater the connection you can make. Absolutely. Um, Yeah. No pretenses and just, I mean, and I I see that in all kinds of um, workplace aspects, you know, it makes you a better boss. It makes you a better manager. It makes you work better on a team. The more work that you can do on yourself, the better you can help and serve others. And I feel like that's kind of, you know, why we're here. We're here to, you know, help each other and, you know, revel in this human experience and this crazy life that we're all going through. And that connection with other, you know, human beings is really, really important. You know, it helps us get us through things. Absolutely. I love it. What else is unique stage versus film and screen? You know, I have to say theater is my first love <laughs> yeah. um, because I've done a lot of it. And because you are crafting that relationship over the course of, you know, an hour to even up to three hours with an audience and they're right there with you experiencing all that live. And you are living that character completely from, you know, the moment the curtain opens or the show starts to the end with film and television, you are, you know, maybe filming the end scene right at the right at the beginning of the shoot. And then you're coming back in, you know, I could be divorced with my husband um, at the, you know, the, the first call for a first scene being shot for a film. And then the last scene we're shooting is when we get married. I mean, it's definitely all over the place. You're not shooting in sequence with theater. You're definitely doing it in sequence. So you have the opportunity to really build on that character with film and television. um, You really have to be able to dial those emotions in at a moment's notice when the camera starts rolling and you have to, you have to bond very quick, more quickly, I believe in film and television with uh, your fellow actors. And then the most important thing about just the acting, uh, the technical side of it. And this is something I still work on as a longtime theater actor. And I'm presently working on, you really have to create stillness 
and acting is all about the eyes for film and television. And you have to know, you know, the difference between it's all the technical turns, what a close up is, which is basically showing your face or what a more wide shot is basically showing, you know, more of your body. So you have to kind of know where the camera is at any given point too, and also keep that in your head. So it's, you're running multiple marathons in both aspects, but especially with film and television, you're trying to create that performance at a moment's notice, but also in the back of your head, you're trying to, you know, remember where the camera is, remember where your mark is, which is where you're supposed to be standing or where you're supposed to be moving to. So you have to keep the technical things in mind as well. And theater has an instant kind of gratification, which actors, of course, love um, because you're hearing the applause, which is great. And with film and TV, you necessarily you really don't get that. So they're two very different mediums, but I love them separately for the things that they offer. Mm, Yeah. And what about the difference in characters? So um, performing a well-known character like an Avon Perone or, or Clary Starling and then performing a character that might not be as well-known. Are there kind of different challenges and opportunities with both of those? Yeah, definitely. Especially if you're performing somebody in real life, I really, really study their mannerisms, their vocal intonations, um, everything and everything about that person. I will watch videos on YouTube. I will research them on Facebook. I will Google until five in the morning. I really, really work hard and love doing that, by the way, to capture that person. And I did that for Ava, for Avita, and I love doing that. And also for Marilyn, I portray Marilyn Monroe independently for my company. And I've been doing her for several years. And I also did her for, um, we did a stage show. It was a world premiere back in 2015 up in Hollywood. It was called Goodbye, Marilyn. And it was centering along, uh, it was centering around her life and her ruminations on her life the night that she passed away. Mm-hmm. And Arthur Miller, her third husband and her second husband, Joe DiMaggio, kind of wafted in, in and out throughout the night and she has conversations and whatnot with them. So it took a lot of listening to her interviews, not her movies, because her voice would actually be crafted even in a higher, in a higher uh, register. So her actual voice was a lot kind of lower. So listening to her interviews and her very, you know, real personality and her massive intelligence that was really interesting to listen to and to craft that performance too it was a Marilyn that most people don't know so I love that challenge of it I think it's even more of a challenge to kind of create an act of a character from scratch and on that note I think you have to put a lot of yourself into something like that my acting coach Stan Zimmerman is actually has a uh, technique for actors to do when they are given, and this is this also helps with um, a cold reading a script. If you're given a script, most of the time for film and television, even commercials, you get it very last minute. You'll get it the day, two days, maybe a week before. And you might not be able to read the rest of that script and figuring out who is this character, where are they coming from, et cetera. So you pretty much have to do the work yourself. So he gives us three things to work on when he gives us a scene, and we do scene work in his class. And we have to come up with, What do we know about the character just from the page? And then what do we not know about the character from the page? And then the third part is, what 
what are we making up about the character to make this as realistic as possible? Is the character married? How old are they? Where do they come from? Are they happy? Are they in a relationship? Like all these things you get to make up. And that advice has been so, has been so invaluable to creating a character from scratch. So those are the two, those are the challenges with those. I'd say the most challenging aspect, however, has to be playing more well-known roles in theater because everyone's going to compare you to the last person who did it. Mm -hmm. And I definitely ran into that when I did Sally Bowles in Cabaret um, up in LA with Musical Theater Los Angeles several years ago. I was directed by uh, Judy Norton, who is Mary Ellen Walton on the Waltons, which is great. She's a fantastic human being and I adore her. And Sally Bowles is supposed to be a third-rate cabaret performer. She's not Liza Minnelli. And the author of the original story that inspired cabaret did not like Liza Minnelli because he said she's not Sally Bowles. This was a terrible singer who thought she was much better than what she was. And she was stuck in this, you know, third-rate nightclub in the middle of Berlin. So when I did the show we all thought it was important that she not sing as well. And I got really lambasted in a few reviews for that and said that, you know, my voice was bad or whatnot. And it was really hard to take. And it was really, it, it, that was the first time I'd experienced something like that. And it was a bummer because, you know, they, a lot of people came in expecting Liza Minnelli and that is not the way that we played it. And in fact, it's not the way that I think the revivals have done it either, which is the vein that we took. We did the revival version and yeah, so that makes it hard too. When you're, de when you're definitely making a choice, you have to, you know, live with that choice and hope some people will understand it. But, you know, you also have to know if you're playing, uh, you know, a uh, Ava Perone, even that people are going to compare you to previous people that have done it. So, I think that's a challenge. I mean, all actors, we hate to admit it, but yeah, we have egos. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you have to kind of see that a little bit. Um, but yeah, I would say that's a challenging aspect of it too. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I could totally see that. So let's talk about your company. You launched Wishing Well Entertainment and Parties a couple years ago, and mm -hmm. you're one of the highest, or you are the highest rated entertainment company in Southern California, and you've got close to 5,000 events that you've um, yes. delivered performers for. Yes. So share the highlights of your entrepreneurial journey and how you balance or navigate actor versus business owner. Barely. I'm kidding. <laughs> um, my grandma um, was the first... She was the first female painting contractor head in Orange County, and she painted for Disneyland, uh, Knott's Berry, the Knott's family from Knott's Berry Farm, South Coast Plaza, the horses there. She was a very, very strong business owner that I looked up to all of my life. And when I formed my company, which kind of actually came about by accident, I was working for another company and I saw that they didn't treat their actors well. And they didn't have their, they didn't, uh, they would just throw me in a, you know, dirty torn costume and throw me out and tell me, throw up your blonde hair, Cinderella. And I didn't like what I was doing and I didn't feel like I was being treated well. And a couple other companies at the time that existed in SoCal said, Hey, um, we'd love to have you come work for us. And, and if you have some of your own costumes, which I did from working through theater stuff, they said, you can come in and do stuff for us. And then I started kind of doing it 
on the fly as word of mouth for um, different, you know, moms and friends of mine that were moms. And then a friend of mine that I'd worked with at uh, another company, she was friends with a celebrity mom and uh, she talked to her about my company. And then all of a sudden it just took off like wildfire. So it kind of actually started as just how am I going to get by money wise and try to still do acting Well, I'll just put on costumes and, you know, do characters and show up to parties. And then it became a business, which I wasn't expecting. So at that time I turned to my grandmother and I was like, help, I don't know what to do. So she helped me facilitate this company and I started it pretty much completely on my own to this day. I run it on my own. I don't have an assistant, which is pretty crazy. So I feel like a doctor with my phone at my hip <laughs> at all hours of the day, I literally will get texts and calls at 1030 at night asking for parties, you know, tomorrow. Wow. So, uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy, but I love doing it because it's always something different. And, uh, no, I tell my performers too, no party is ever going to be the same. It really definitely does not get boring. <laughs> um, we have done at to date, we've done close to 5,500 parties now, and we've done over a dozen of the Kardashians parties now, and we sent in a lot of characters for them. Um, we do a lot of celebrities. We've done Beyonce. Uh, we did Ewan McGregor's little girls party earlier this year. We've done, oh boy, a lot of stuff. Uh, we've done several events on the Universal Studios backlot. Uh, we did, um, we've done a lot of makeup launch parties, a lot of holiday parties for big companies. It's been definitely a trip. So we work with a lot of A-list celebrities now, which is really, really cool. And it's very surreal being there and going, wow, this is definitely not what I expected to be doing. But we pride ourselves. I primarily work with theater actors and we pride ourselves on really uh, bringing the character in. And I think our company is kind of set apart because when I was a kid, and as I said, won't get into that aspect, but I had a very tumultuous childhood and theater was definitely escape for me and fairy tales and, and science fiction and all that kind of stuff. All those movies were things I really, really loved as a kid. And I looked up to a lot of those characters because they teach you, you know, how to be brave through adversity and terrible things happening. You look at, you know, Cinderella, yeah, has the very materialistic aspect of, oh, you know, the dress and the shoes and, and the sparkly things and all the, that stuff. But you look at a character that, you know, was basically triumphed by being kind and, by, and working through things and being brave despite what was happening to her. And you look a lot, there's a lot of characters like that in fairy tales. And those were escapes for me as a kid. And I really relish being able to bring that to kids and adults who might be going through similar things. And I would have to say the highlight of, you know, we've done a lot of great parties. We've had a lot of press and that's been great, but the, you know, the, the emails and the letters that I get or the experiences I have as a character coming into parties or for performers coming through parties and saying, we just want you to know that the child's grandmother, the, the week after you came in and performed as, you know, Cinderella. She passed away the week after. And the last picture we have of her is of her and her grandchild and you, and we're going to treasure that for years. And just thank you for that last, you know, bit that we, a bit of time that we had as a family together. It's, you know, we'll treasure that forever. Or I remember, oh my gosh, I'm tearing up. Um, I remember coming in, this was several years ago, <laughs> 
when Bray was very popular, I was playing, as we call the Scottish princess, <laughs> Merida. I came into a party and there was a little girl that was kind of, she was 10. So she was way beyond, you know, any kind of princess party. She was way over it. And I kind of, over the, cu- the course of an hour, had enticed her into partaking in activities, and she was really starting to kind of warm up. And at the end of the party, she, I feel like, really, I don't know what it was, but we had some little connection in the fact that she came up to me and she said, um, Merida, my mom, she is going, she has breast cancer, and she was diagnosed just a week ago. And, and it, it, I'm, I'm really having a hard time. And I know that you, you had a hard time with, it was, oh my gosh, I'm crying almost. Um, you had a really hard time with your mom and your story. And I'm just wondering if you can, you know, do you have anything that can help me or it was just so touching and just very, I mean, it was just, it blew me away. So we'll get things like that where you're just like, wow, these kids really look up to you. They really want, you know, they believe in you and they believe in that and then that uh, a tale and that um character that you're portraying and how can i you know use that to make things better for this person or this child or this family or whatnot so i feel like the fact that we are really pouring a lot of time and, and heart into what we're doing um people notice that which i'm grateful for and i think that makes a difference so it's beyond you know dressing up in a costume and showing up we're actually you know helping people or helping them escape or whatnot, which is also why I do theater. So I think that I I really put my whole heart and soul into my company and I've done so for almost eight years now. And I think that's kind of our calling card, so to speak. I have a great team that works with us and a lot of them have been with me since day one and they have, they, they have the same viewpoint. They have the same goals and they have the same good hearts. I, I really like working with people who have good hearts and I think kids see through that too. So that, I'm sorry, that was really, really long, <laughs> but yeah, it's, I've, I've had the company for eight years and, and we've done a lot. So there's a lot to get into with, um, with my company. It's, and it's, by the way, I'm not sure if I mentioned it, Swishing Wall Entertainment is the name of the company. Amazing. And what a gift. I mean, it's not like, as you said, not just dressing up as a character, you really are connecting with the children and, and with, you know, whoever's attending the parties, but it's, it's kind of having that character see and hear the children. So there's like that interaction and that, that bond you create. It's so amazing. Absolutely. And you know what? And it's so funny too. It's like, you're an adult, you go to Disneyland, you look at the characters and you become a little kid again, even with me as jaded as I might be, I still look and go, and you, you, you catch your breath a little and you go, Oh my gosh, that's, that's the evil queen walking by me. Oh my gosh. (laughs) So, you know, and adults have the same, it's so funny. It tickles me so much when they have the same reaction. And we've done like a couple years ago, I went into um, Long Beach Memorial. We got a call from a donation company and we do donated visits. If somebody is in hospice care or somebody um, has been diagnosed with something, we will go in home free of charge, of course, and we'll go in and we'll have one-on-one interaction with the person. And a lot of times it's adults that call us in. And we, I did an event, or well, not an event, but just a visit last year, last summer for a lady in her 60s who loved Disneyland. 
and her family wasn't able to bring her to Disneyland and she took a turn for the worse. And so Cinderella came in and sang to her at her bedside and she passed away the next day. And last week we got a request um, from a guy looking for his friend's granddaughter had been diagnosed with cancer and she was supposed to go to Disneyland and SeaWorld. And she all of a sudden took a turn for the worse. And he said, can we get somebody out this week? And I said, absolutely, you know, don't pay us for that. We're not going to charge for that. And I went to my performers. I said, hey, who can do this? And I have, that's why I love my team. They're willing to take the day off work and they want to go in and do this. And I had people that I was able to send within an hour's notice the next day. And the little girl passed away that night. So it's just been like, yeah. So we get stuff like that too. And it's great to make a difference for kids and also for adults. I mean, it gives them a little bit of escape too. We're all kids at heart when it comes down to it. We all get jaded through, you know, the trials and tribulations of life and a, you know, nine to five job. So it's nice to have that escape and we love providing that. So it's, it's really cool to be able to do that. Yeah. Amazing. And I, I can't wait. I want to meet Lucille Ball. (laughs) I'm hoping to have a party soon to hire you. I'm like, I want Lucy to come. (laughs) She's really obnoxious. I'm just giving you the heads up. Okay. <laughs> so what are your goals for your business in the future? I would love to. Um, so at this point, because I'm really starting to uh, merge into more auditioning for film and television, I'm trying to, um, well, I should say I'm transitioning my acting coach tells me do not say the word try so I will Mm. also uh, share that for the viewers and listeners I should say uh don't say the word try I started to do that and it's interesting how your thought process really kind of tries it, it changes things so I started to make that transition I've started to become more of a manager now I'm not sending myself out performance wise as much So I have a team of about 20 people and I'm looking to grow that, uh, grow the performance, the performer roster. And so that's what I'm kind of working on is making that transition right now to just managing and not performing as much within my company and sending wonderful, amazing performers out to do that instead. I would just love to be growing our company Um, even more so. And I'd be loving, we have been doing a lot more corporate and business events, which have been great. Like last week, we just did uh, the League of Cities conference. And it was hilarious because the booths were all in competition with with each other. So they were trying to figure out, "Hmm, how can we differentiate our booth? How can we get people coming to us? So they hired both Lucy Ricardo and Marilyn Monroe. (laughs) And so they had a bunch of people go, oh, I want to go to that booth and see what's going on. So it was a very clever business decision to have characters at their booth at with all these adults coming back and forth and going, what's going on over here? It was a lot of fun. So we would love to be doing more corporate and business events and a lot more holiday events. We have a lot more holiday characters coming in now. And also what I love doing as a theater performer and whatnot, we're trying to do more original characters. And in fact, this year we booked more original characters than well-known characters. Mm. So original fairies like a sunflower fairy or a green garden fairy or unicorn fairy um, or pirates or astronauts. Especially, especially, especially characters that are 
like astronaut, female astronauts. We just had the first all female astronaut team walk, uh, do a spacewalk. I think it was last week. And little girls are looking up to that. And I really want to be putting more roles like that into our character parties. And we're getting more requests for that, which thrills me to bits because I want to be able, the princesses are awesome and I love the princesses, but to be able to send out astronauts or mad scientists or things like that, that are engineers even that, um, little girls and boys can look up to. I love being able to send those out. So that's where I'd like to see our company going is doing more original character requests, coming up with more original ideas, expanding what we can do performance-wise in more venues. That's where I hope to see our company going in the next few years. Fantastic. And what about your goals for your career? Do you want to continue to do more theater? Or are you looking to do more screen and TV? At this point, I would love, I, I love doing theater. It's my first love and it's my, it's my therapy session. <laughs> um, and I love the people that I work with, honestly, you know, working in, um, I've worked in Orange the- County theater for boy, I think about 13 years now. And it's, I definitely, I feel like that's my family. That's my, that's where my home is, but I'd love to be doing more film and television. And I'm in the process of auditioning and working on more projects for that. So I'm at the point where I'm making a transition and it's a very big transition and it takes a big, big commitment, but that's where I see myself going. However, I, I have my fingers in a lot of different pies. So if something comes up and, you know, I'm involved with a theatrical endeavor that takes me to New York, then absolutely I'll be down for that. So Mm. I kind of go with where the wind takes me and, and audition and submit myself for, you know, whatever might come in. So I love being able to, you know, do different, you know, mediums. So, yeah. Amazing. So what advice do you have for fellow actors on the audition circuit? Great question. Um, (laughs) I would say, oh boy, the biggest, biggest thing that I can advise, get great with cold rating. I know a lot of people just get so they get taken aback by that and it will it depends on what you're auditioning for it does help with theater but especially for commercial film and television um you're gonna have to be really good with cold reading and whatever they can throw at you and get really good i think improv classes really help because that teaches you to think on your feet the other thing i'm going to say is and still something that I deal with this to this day, I still get a little fearful when I go into auditions. I mean, you're basically going in for a job interview hundreds upon hundreds of times. I mean, it's a grueling process. And I've learned my view used to be, hey, booking it is the end goal. This is what you're supposed to do here. If you don't book it, you're a failure. Mm. And that's not, unfortunately, it's it just, it's not the viewpoint to have. The auditioning part is your job. You should be going in, and I do struggle with this to this day, but when this advice was given to me, it's made it a lot easier. You should be going in auditioning like you already have the job. You're basically in there to forge connections, win the room, and just play. And just show them, hey, look, this is what I'm capable of, and not expect to book the job. You shouldn't be expecting to book it. You should be expecting to go in and just show them what you're capable of. And I think that takes a lot of the fear aspect of it away. And also sitting there, you know, twiddling your thumbs, crossing your feet, going, oh, God, I'm about to be called in right now. Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> just acknowledging that you're sitting in and, and, hey, you know what? Every single person sitting in this room probably feels the exact same way. 
and it's okay that I'm feeling this kind of fear. And it's okay that, you know, this is a very human response and just kind of looking at it from, you know, outside the box a little bit, I think really, really helps you in the audition uh, process. And also researching the character as much as you possibly can, I think gives you such a heads up on the audition and, and any job for that matter. But on the audition process, I think a lot of people don't do that. They don't do the homework and I find it fun. So I think, you know, if you find the fun in doing that, I think you'll have a heads up on other people coming in and auditioning for the same role as you. Mm, Great advice. And, you know, you had mentioned before about the community theater, such a family and a camaraderie. Is it the same way in film and television too, or is there more of a cutthroat aspect of people competing? There's absolutely, I think, a more cutthroat aspect to that, especially in Los Angeles. The world is very, very different. I've definitely even experienced that more so just in auditions for film and television. And theater, somewhat of the same thing, but yeah, definitely I feel a lot more cutthroat with film and television. You have something, there's a sign that I go into, I was actually just there yesterday, it's, I think for every role now, the competition is so fierce in film and television and commercials in that world that it's literally maybe a thousand to two thousand actors that are submitting for that role and maybe 50 being called in, maybe 10 being called back. So it's extremely competitive. And uh, there's a sign at a casting studio that I love. I was the one that I was just at yesterday, actually. It says you are one in 36 actors that was called in for this role today. Be grateful that you are there and you've already basically, I think it says something else of you've already, you know, completed 75% of the journey. And so on that aspect, yeah, it's absolutely a lot more, a lot more competitive, which makes it nice to be go, go back to theater. If I'm asked to do a project or whatever, um, it makes it nice. So I can, you know, work on my craft. I can do something new. I can do something fun and I'm still, you know, meeting new people and working with actors and, you know, and still working on the craft. So theater's kind of, you know, it's, it's a outlet for me definitely more competitive in the La La Land world. Mm-hmm. And then what are your personal practices just to keep your focus and your motivation and kind of self-confidence, like knowing that it is so competitive? Are there certain things that you do just to help yourself be really strong and just show up the best you can? You know, I would have to say it's definitely gotten better. The more you do it, the thicker of the skin that you develop. <laughs> and sure enough, like, I mean, Of course, there's still going to be, you know, roles that you lose out on that will absolutely break your heart. And you look at what other actors have been through and have been through the exact same thing. I mean, if you look, I think there's a book, somebody actually, when I had the um, cabaret experience and I was getting reeled across the coals for how I chose to do that performance. One of my lovely, lovely friends, Annalisa Erickson, who played uh, Fraulein Schneider in that in that uh, play, she gave me a book, and it is a compilation of all of the bad reviews <laughs> that the most amazing actors of our time have received. And on that note, like I just read, um, this was a couple years ago, I can't remember the name of the play, but it was a New York production that Al Pacino, my favorite actor, was a part of, and he got blasted Mm. got absolutely blasted so you look at that and you go boy every single person even actors at the top of their tier 
are going through the exact same thing. And it makes it a lot easier to go through. And in fact, actually, that reminds me, I met Al Pacino. Um, this is like 10 years ago. He is just the most, he is so down to earth, so sweet, so humble, so adorable. <laughs> he's like five foot five in person too. So you go, oh my gosh, he's so, all, all actors on film and TV, when you see him, you're like, gosh, they're so much tinier in person. I went up to him as a young theater actor and was just completely couldn't even look at him. I was so nervous. And I said, Al Pacino, do you have any advice for a young actor? And he kind of smiled at first and then like almost acted like he was going to walk away, like he wasn't going to answer the question. So my heart just like tumbled down into my gut. And then all of a sudden he turned around and he took his glasses off and he stared me right in the eyes. And he said, I want you to know this. Love what you are doing, and if you love it, keep doing it, even if you have to do it alone. And I have never forgotten those words, and I look at his career and all the creative things and failures that he's had as an actor and somebody that really enjoys what he's doing and has stayed humble and working throughout the years, and he's triumphantly failed on so many aspects and so many other actors that we all know and love and respect have done the exact same thing. And that has really been fuel for me. But I also, I have to say, um, it really does help kind of getting out of the environment here and there. And Mm -hmm. that's why I travel. It kind of rejuvenates me a little bit, you know, traveling for me has kind of helped me you know, kind of shed all that and be a little kid again and experience new things and new places I haven't seen before. And I come back feeling super rejuvenated and super ready to, you know, pound the pavement again. Um, I, I think travel is so important for people across the board. It gives you such a perspective that you wouldn't get, you know, sitting at home and there's ways to do it even, you know, economically. I, I, as an actor, um, my it's feast or famine. So I really don't, you know, have a lot of money, but being able to save up or just even being able to take a day trip for a day. I think that really kind of nails perspective for people and you can see the world around you and go, yeah, you know, my audition problems back home really are nothing compared to, you know, everything else that's going on in the world. So I think that really adds some perspective too. Oh, absolutely. This has been fantastic. You've got such great insight and just your authenticity and your passion for what you do. It just, it shines through in everything. Thank you very, very much. Thank you. And and thank you so much for your support and and um, just you are a wonderful, lovely human being and soul. And it's, I love meeting people like this throughout what I do and connecting with people. And that just makes life all the more flavorful. So Yay. I really love that. <laughs> awesome. Thank you, Kalinda, for your insights and sharing your love of performing and delighting audiences wherever you go. Listeners, if you live in Los Angeles or Orange County, be sure to check out Kalinda's next community theater performance. When she's not lighting up the stage or screen, you can find her on Facebook at Kalinda the Gray, on Instagram at Kalinda Gray, and her company's website is wishingwellparties.net. Thank you for listening to the Pure Creative Force podcast. Be inspired and go create something new today. The electric mantra music is by our featured artist, Osley. That's O-S-L-E-E underscore music on Instagram.